all the decision of my life as a woman or any woman in Afghanistan is in the hand of man. I gotta change this culture, at least for myself, because I hate people to decide for me. I'm a grown up woman and I can decide for myself. I am half of the population. How come you have full rights and I don't? This country is not built for man. It is also for women. I'm going to change the culture, the mindset. You're listening to Asylum Speakers, the podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those with lived experience of displacement and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. International Women's Day today, so it feels only right that I bring you the story of one of the most incredible women that I know, Kalida Popal. Let me give you a little introduction to Kalida. So Kalida grew up playing football with her brothers in Afghanistan, and even though she faced serious discrimination from her community as a result, she went on to form the Afghan Women's Football League with her friends. Despite death threats at the hands of extremist and anti-women's rights groups, she went on to be the first woman on the board of the Afghan Football Federation, the first female employee of the federation, and the captain of the women's national team after being the driving force behind its growth. But as Khalida's profile grew, so too did the threat to her safety, and Khalida was eventually forced to leave Afghanistan and begin her journey as a refugee. After living in various refugee camps, she has been granted asylum in Denmark but has never lost ties with her homeland. Last year, when the Taliban seized power of Afghanistan, Khalida worked tirelessly to campaign for the safe evacuation of the Afghan women's football teams, who had become targets to the Taliban, who did not allow women to participate in or even attend sporting events. Khalida rallied the international community and even got the support of Kim Kardashian, and she was eventually successful in safely evacuating over 300 people, the players and their families, to both Australia and the UK. Kalida continues to advocate for the rights of women and girls through her organisation Girl Power, which uses sport as a tool to empower, connect and unify women and girls from all cultures and social backgrounds. Before we hear from Kalida, it's also the perfect day, being International Women's Day, to share a few words from our sponsor for this episode, Love Welcomes. Love Welcomes is a female-run social enterprise employing women with refugee status right here in London to make beautiful products such as homewares, table settings and gifts. And they have generously given our listeners 10% off with the code WWT for Worldwide Tribe on their website, lovewelcomes.org. Let's hear from one of their team members, Sophie, talking about her experience of being part of the Love Welcomes team. 
I felt seen, not looked at like mm -hmm. seen. Like, I feel like people see me in here. I feel like I am valued and loved. I feel like I have family now. I have friends. When I'm sick, my phone doesn't stop. Do you need food? Do you want us to do something for you? It's not just about the work. We involve in, a, in each other's personal lives as well. Mm -hmm. If anyone needs any help or anything, we just step in. Like, first thing when we walk in, you know, we notice each other. What happened to you? You don't look okay today. What's going on? You know, like, and people actually care. And that's an amazing feeling, to be honest. So if you would like to support Sophie and the incredible all-female team at Love Welcomes, check out their website, lovewelcomes.org, and you can use the code WWT for 10% off their beautiful products. Now let's hear from today's guest, Kalida. Oh, Kalida, honestly, I'm so grateful to you for this because I've heard from many people that I need to speak to you. Well, thank you for your time. Should we start from the beginning? Yeah, let's do that. I'd love to start with a little bit of your early life and how you actually found your way to football. Can you tell me about that? It's a beautiful journey when I look back. I mean, although I have had a lot of challenges and ups and downs, my life has been always like a roller coaster. But when I look back to my childhood, growing up in Afghanistan and how I started playing football, in Afghanistan, football is a national game and everybody plays. I mean, I think it's something football belongs to the people who really have very limited opportunities. And it's for them to make them happy. And it's for everybody, like no matter which, which status you have, which level in the society you are, the game is for you. You can have a, a goal with stones, with a ball from like whatever, socks, but just something around. And then you just play. You don't need proper uniform, you know, don't need proper shoes. You just play football and just have fun and enjoy. That's what I did with my brothers. I grew up in a, in a family where we had more men than women. So that came quite naturally to me because my brothers were doing and I, was, I did also play football too. I grew up also in a, in a war-torn country. I remember a little bit of Afghanistan where it was beautiful from my childhood memories. But apart from that, every time there was war, I grew up in war. The first year of school, I was looking so much forward to go to school. But then civil war happened and nobody could go to school. and. People were displaced from one place to another. And, and most of the time we had to hide because of like bomb, it was a lot of bombing and bomb blasting, uh, air attacks. And when I started school, I was in the second grade where Taliban came to Afghanistan, took the power. And then they announced that women and girls are not allowed to go to go to school or go to call, like work and women and girls are not allowed to do anything. Basically, that was the announcement. And for me, that and on that age was so difficult to understand how come half of the population should be deactive, should be deactivated and should be removed from society. Because 
we have had no part in the war. We haven't, as a woman, as a young girl, we didn't play any role in that. Like our voices was not heard. When the decision was made, we were not part of the decision making. So how come they decided for us and, and vanished us from the society? I kept asking questions to my father. Why I am not allowed to go to school? Why our school is not like the girls' school is not allowed? And he had difficult time to kind of like, without making it political, but also make it very simple to answer me. And he was trying a lot, but he could not answer me. Why they think I should not go to school. I am from a very well-educated family, very open-minded people where equal treatment is one of the values of our, of our family. Having freedom of speech is, is just like freedom of expression. It's just a part of like our value. We don't talk about it, it's just there. It's very natural. And all of a sudden society put that pressure that we should belong to kitchen, we should belong to home. Where my father and my grandfather and, and family is quite against that. And also because my family was very active in the government during the Taliban, we had to flee Afghanistan to in order to, to survive and save our lives. We moved to, to Pakistan as a refugee in a story from nothing. We left our home with, like today I see Ukrainians left their home. We were on the streets, we had blankets. We started life in Pakistan as a refugee, in a refugee camp. And uh, I started working, beside my school I started working. And quite early around, my age was, I think I was around nine years old. So beside my school I was working together with my parent, my family, my parents. Um, everybody was working. I was shopkeeper. I was also sometimes working to make breaks. Um, together with my grandfather. In Pakistan, I were, we were playing football, street football and cricket. It's like sport is part of our family. It's the culture of our family. Just we need to be active in some way. <laughs> and working was not enough for me. When we returned back to Afghanistan, and in that time I was a teenager, I found the country so different. It was so scary. I found the country like a ghost country. You couldn't see women in the street. When we, I returned back, it was back in 2001. Because that was when the Taliban reign ended, right? Yeah, when Taliban fall, they lost the power in Afghanistan. Now we I went back, even like during the Taliban, when the Taliban were there. I, um, with my grandmom, went once in Afghanistan. It was so scary where they were beating women. They were leading with fear. And they were like beating everybody. If the women were not wearing um, even socks, so they were wearing like burqas and they were fully covered. 
if, for example, a woman had a sandal in a very hot weather and didn't have um, socks with that sandal, so they were beating women that your your fate is visible. I remember how they started beating with leash they had. It was so scary. I have those pictures in my mind. But when the Taliban fall, we returned back home and started settling back in our country, starting again from, from the start our lives. Women in the country was still worried for the return of Taliban. So they were still covering, they were still having this burkas, and I was not wearing it. And I had always difficult time to wear cover, like this curve. That was not my thing. I always had difficult time. It was not that I was against, but I had difficult time to keep that on my head. It was everywhere, but not my head. <laughs> Because I, I, when I grew up, I was more tomboy. And all of a sudden, I had to wear the, the scarf, which I didn't like it. And, and it was like all the time everywhere. But anyway, so that was my one of my challenges when I was walking the street of Kabul, when I was in school, um, where people were harassing me for why I don't have this scarf on my head. Yeah. Or my, my hair is not covered with a scarf when I was at school. I was told my, by my teachers that one day I will bring this, um, I will, uh, what do you call it? Like, I will uh, bring something like nail to kind of like... Uh, oh, like a pin or something. Pin to kind of keep your scarf in your head. And I was like, why are you just like struggling with my hair? Like go and do like your job. So just yeah. leave me alone. <laughs> so that was one of my fights. Everything was so different and difficult. Life for for the girls, for the young girls in Afghanistan was go to school and right after school go home and then do kitchen thing and and then also prepare yourself to get married and be selected by one of the families for their son. And I hated, I hated it. it was so boring. Even thinking about it was like I, it was I was so against that. And I started going back to to the streets and I started playing football which was not acceptable because by this time I was I was teenager and I was my body was more feminine and and was not acceptable and they were against my head like why not I was wearing a scarf so they started like the community the neighbors started like really giving me bad time and and calling me prostitute or my brothers were not real man even they were harassing and abusing my brothers for for letting me to play with them. They were harassing young boys who were playing with me. So it was a lot of pressure that I had to stop playing football. I stopped playing football with the boys, with my team. And then I was like, okay, I have to find a way to continue playing football. So I came up with an idea of going undercover and just like hide my identity and find another team in another like closer city, which was 30, 35 minutes by walk uh, from where I was living. I found that team. Um, one of the team coaches was fantastic and he helped me to go undercover, meaning I was wearing 
extra size clothing. And then I had my cup where I was hiding my hair totally under. I look like a boy. I don't have the face of like very feminine face. <laughs> so we decided that I go to the training 10 minutes late mm-hmm. and I leave the training five minutes earlier before everybody else. So that means that the boys don't get the chance to talk too much. Mm-hmm. They will not have they will not have the opportunity to discover who I am. So they will not discover that I'm a girl. So that continued. I really enjoyed. It was fantastic. Some of the boys were really trying to scream and when I was missing the ball and stuff like that. So it was a lot of pressure because I was trying my best to not do any mistake on the pitch. So the boys will start like kind of yelling and screaming or talking to me. So I avoid talking with people to hide my identity. Mm. And I was not using my voice. And they thought that I am not able to speak. Uh, And so they were really curious of finding out who I am. And then I think one of the boys were quite curious. He tried to kind of follow me. And he found out that I'm uh, like my identity. He went back to the to the, to the team and told. So the coach called me and said, like they found out, it is very dangerous for me to to let you come in because I could, if the neighborhood find out, then it will be problem for me and they will not let our team to play and, and continue training. Uh, and he was very sorry, and he was very, very sad. Yeah. At the same time, I understood, so I stopped. And I said, I'm not going to stop, no matter what. I mean, they cannot decide for me what to do. And if I let them to decide today, they will do it over and over. All the decision of my life as a woman, or any woman, it's like in the hand of the neighbors, in the hand of man. And I, I mean, I, I got to change this culture, at least for myself, because I hate people to decide for me. I'm a grown up woman and I can decide for myself. Cultures are made by people. So that means people can change the culture as well. So I said, I'm not going to give up. I'm standing for myself, but also for my sisters. I'm going to change the culture, the mindset, but also daring the woman to stand and challenge people. Like, I am half of the population. How come you have full right and I don't? I started going to school. I started campaigning at school and getting women and girls in football, like young girls. And my mom, because she was um, my physical education teacher. She supported you. She jumped on board because what we needed, adults, teachers on board to help us when we have the conversations with the families. Because it was the toughest conversation. My mom had to explain and also argue why it's important for girls and women to play football or do any sports or be physically active. 
And it's nothing against culture. It's not nothing against religion. We were like training behind the building of the school in a hidden like because we didn't want they we knew that there will be some sort of resistance against our activity um, from the school um, because this is something part of not part of the culture and I don't know why I still don't understand why for us it was very much playing for fun playing to be together. Mm-hmm. I hate being a lot at home. Um, I mean, if I have nothing to do apart from my work, I mean, I hate being in the kitchen. The only time I love to go to the kitchen when I am hungry, when I need food, and when I need to go and check my refrigerator how, like 10 times in a day to see what it is inside. I love food, but when someone else is making and I'm eating. <laughs> I mean, it's not in my DNA as a woman and a girl or anywhere that I should, but I belong to Katrina and, and I should cook. And I don't like it. So that's why I'm saying, like, why you keep telling me that I belong to kitchen? I do not belong to kitchen because it's not coming from inside me. And I am horrible at making food and I cannot even make a, a, an egg. Even if I make it, I cannot eat myself. How can I just like serve people? And that was like my argument. <laughs> we had a fantastic time playing for fun. And when we were first attacked by a group of men from outside the school, when they found out that we are a group of girls inside the school playing football. So we had all with our all school uniforms. So we didn't even have a football uniform. Our bags, school bags, were the goal. And we had an old crazy ball, which I always called magic ball. That's it. Like, we were playing. And, and they uh, they jumped because our school was surrounded by, with the walls. So they, they jumped over the wall. And they were a bunch of young men from the neighborhood of a school. Um, they were so aggressive, they were so angry, and they started yelling, they started using a lot of bad words, like prostitutes, bad woman, crazy woman, and like horse, and all these kind of words that they were called us. And they took that ball and, and, and kind of destroyed that ball. I was hurt so badly. Because I was used to those words. I was like, okay, um, it's not getting to under my skin. These words are just words. And then and then they took that ball and then he had this kind of like a knife in his hand and he just destroyed the ball. And he, one of those guys started saying that women cannot walk properly. How can they play football? And they started like walking around, like um, like really insulting and harassing. And they took the even the school bags and kind of like ripped the books or, or notebooks apart to kind of like create the fear amongst the team. And especially we had many young girls, and I was like really frustrated. I was furious. I wanted to go beat down. And all of a sudden, the happiness turned to. To quite heavy sadness. 
And that was a kind of a wake-up call, a kind of showing the reality of, of the situation of women in Afghanistan. I have this kind of like very natural way of leadership that came from very younger age. So maybe I'm the oldest child of the home, so I always had this kind of role with my brothers. So I stood up and I said, like, listen, we have two choices. One, to give up, go home, cry and complain to our fathers and mothers and never come back and play. The other choice is, no matter what, how many times we get this type of attack, we'll not speak to our families about these type of attacks. We'll stand and prove that girls can do any type of sport, they can. We stand not for ourselves, but for all our sisters around the country. And we will argue for our right as a woman and a young girl in Afghanistan that this country is not built for man. It is also for women. Some of our players stopped playing football because they were scared. They knew that even if their family find out about this occasion, they will lose even the opportunity to go to school. So it was too much of risk for them. I think for me, when I look back, it's because the support I received from mom and dad, from my family. That's why I felt more confident. And I took that initiative and I said, no matter what, I'm, I'm doing this. From there, we started the campaign. We started the movement. We went from our school to different schools and showcased our football. That movement started with so much frustration that this is not okay. And we are going to change the country. We are going to make history. It was very, very clear. Kalida, did you ever feel? Did you ever feel fear? Uh, I was like, I have, have nothing to lose. I mean, if I don't fight, I will lose. The only thing I have is the freedom that I get through football. And if if they take that freedom, I will not have anything. The fear of losing that freedom, the feeling of freedom, because every time I enter the pitch, it helps you to forget, to think about it, the actual moment that you're in. Everything else, the pressure from the society, the insults, the disrespect, everything else is off the pitch and the moments help you to just focus on the ball, focus on yourself. And that's the freedom I wanted, the freedom in my mind, the freedom in my body, the freedom like just to enjoy the moments. And that's where I didn't want to give up. I had the fear of losing it. And when that, that fear was like really trying to push me to, to fight for it, at the same time, the fear of, I think my fear was more, like the kind of this imagination that my neighbors, the man in my neighborhood who has no education, no knowledge, who is not smart than me, will decide my life for me. That was like a nightmare for me. I was like, why does this man have so much confidence that just because they are man, they can decide for me my life? 
I don't want that one. And that's what like motivating me to fight and discover who I am, but why it matters. And also what has helped me to not give up was that this is not about me. This is not for me. It's beyond and it's like bigger than me. And that kept me motivated till today. Everything I do, I don't think about myself. I think about everybody else affected. And that what motivates me. That's why football has been a tool for us to empower women and girls in Afghanistan, to stand for our sisters in Afghanistan who their voices were taken from them, who are living still under the domestic violence, who are facing domestic violence, who didn't have a choice. And their choices were taken from them. It took us a few few years till Football Federation accepted. We, we did everything. We were like telling Football Federation, you do not really need to do anything. You, all you need is to bring your people. We do everything for you. All you need is to stamp and say, this is official Football Federation thing. All you need is to stamp and say, yes, they are the national team. So that's what we did. They, so the national team of Afghanistan was formed back in 2007. We traveled for the first time and presented Afghanistan. And that was the most beautiful moment in our life. The, the minute we wore the jersey of Afghanistan, women's national team, the, the badge on our chest, the name of our country, it was the most beautiful moment in our life. I don't know how it feels like winning a World Cup, but I think if I compare that feeling, it was like winning a World Cup because a World Cup winning is this the most beautiful thing that you just won the World Cup. For us, was with all the struggles we've been through, with the harassment, with insults, with pressure, with anxieties, winning that jersey was like winning a World Cup. And we were crying. When the, for the first time the national anthem was played, we were just standing and crying because that was the most beautiful moment in our life. The national anthem was played for us. Now the national team and the name of Afghanistan don't belong to only men. And we women can also represent Afghanistan. The other thing is that now we have got a platform and our sisters who have lost their voices and their rights can see us in the screen of their, their TV with the hope that they will be encouraged and see the unity the woman brings in. And that's what we wanted to kind of show and understand and really create the unity and encourage the unity amongst women through football. We didn't play football for the sake of the game, but we played to to take actions, to stand for things much bigger, the much bigger purpose. But football was giving us the platform. And that's what we did. We didn't really invest a lot of time on building our skills. We really invested our time to our activism 
and and that was the the foundation of women's football in Afghanistan. It was built on activism and was built on standing and using our platform for our sister. 2009, I become the the head of women's football in Afghanistan, and um, I was also the first female board member of Afghanistan uh, Football Federation, the very first female employee in the history of Afghanistan Football Federation. I have no idea, still I'm thinking about it. 1922, this federation was the history is the federation, uh, established the federation. And and from the 1922 till to 2009, they never had women in their employ as an employee. I'm not like talking about on the page. And that position was not also easy for me to get that. It was a lot of struggles. And I had to prove myself many times. And I had to prove my leadership many times. I want to enter in the Federation because I want my voice and our voices in decision-making. A bunch of men cannot sit and take decision for us. In the board, I was the only woman and the youngest one. And, and then even like every time we had um, <clears throat> the meetings, before the meetings, when everybody was coming together, there was jokes, there was insults, there was a lot of like sexist jokes about me. I had to really defend myself and and kind of like say no matter it, how much tough it is, how many times they insult me, I'll continue because this is not for me. I want to create opportunities. I want to open the doors of opportunity for women, more women and girls to take part in decision making. Someone has to give sacrifices so the rest can actually have the chance and opportunity. In a harsh way, but I always say, someone has to take the bullet to change. The change happens. Like you cannot be nice and soft and like hope that everything will be just easy. Change always takes sacrifices. And it's not easy. Someone has to take that or in order to make the change. And that was my motivation. And then I started like hiring as many women as possible. So I had like at least four or five women after a few months who started working. What else I did, which made my life quite difficult, where I faced high risk to which my life that I had to leave Afghanistan was every time I had the media around me, I was talking about the corruption, mm-hmm. the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. It came to some point that I started naming people, people who are abusing the power and that affected the inclusion of women in a sports, but also in the society. Who are stopping women who are against women and especially the women who are activists and strong. Every time I was talking um, and I was raising my voice, I was receiving <clears throat> death threats, uh, warnings, 
people around me were like a lot under pressure, my family, the more my voice becoming stronger, the more I was losing the freedom. I could not walk around the city. I could not. I had to have every time someone with me, I had to have a driver. Because it was dangerous. It was dangerous because I was receiving death threats. I was receiving phone calls, continuous threats. You will get raped. You will get killed. Your family will, will be killed. Will put your family in prison to to kind of silence you. All these things that I was receiving, it was like from the very powerful people. I was attacked physically um, by gunmen, and that was the time where I was. I I felt that this is really serious. It's getting really really serious, and if I if I continue. In my country, I will, I will lose my life and my voice. And if I leave, I can save my voice and and I can do much more. No matter where physically I am, I can always make difference. That was a decision. I had to leave my country overnight. It was not the easiest decision. But I took that decision and, uh, and, and then left and, and went underground. He left in different countries. Um, I have had panic attacks, nightmares, anxiety attacks. I ended up in, uh, in different refugee centers in Europe. As a refugee, um, and left in refugee centers and experienced life as a refugee, which was so extreme in, in so many levels, like as a refugee where you have no identity. You know that you lost everything. There is nothing behind. It's like you lost everything back home. And then you see the future is not clear. You don't know what is waiting for you uh, as a refugee. Life is like unknown. It's quite unknown, unpredictable. Like you're hanging in the air like a doll. But you don't have wings to fly and you don't have a ground to stand on. And that's the, the kind of the, the challenge and the frustration because nothing is clear. That thoughts, that feelings were kind of like continuous stress came to this kind of level in my life that I got really deep depression where I had the feeling life have no meaning and I fought all, all my life not to end up in somewhere in the middle of nowhere in uh, in in a refugee center in Europe Kalida were you were you on your own or were you with your family no i was on my own i was saying to myself that all this fight 
and the dreams were to be in, in my country, to serve my people, to be with my people, to be in my country. All my dreams and everything was within my country. And even when I ha- when I left Afghanistan, and I still, like every time I dream, my dreams are in Afghanistan. So every time I have a dream, my dreams are in Afghanistan. Even the people I know from here, it's like my dreams bring them in Afghanistan. So it's like the location of my dream is always Afghanistan. I have no idea. It's like more than nine or eight years that I'm outside Afghanistan. But my dream, the location of my dreams are no matter, even I know the people here in Denmark, the, my dreams bring them in Afghanistan. So it's crazy. And those thoughts and feelings, and feeling lonely, feeling lost, it, it kind of like it hit me so hard. It's just like life have no meaning. And I have lost my, I felt like I lost my purpose. And I have to end this life. And I think what, there was a moment that everything changed in my life where I, uh, I witnessed few women in the center where I was living, refugees who uh, who actually tried to suicide, who tried to suicide and and in like their life. And I I kind of like on that moment I connected back with my purpose and say like no matter where I am, I can still make the difference. I can still still empower, support people to overcome the challenges. And that's when I stopped thinking of like ending my life and and started like encouraging more women and girls to, to come with me and to play football and do some sports activities. So we started like running, swimming, playing football, um, biking, so they learned how to bike because I learned also in, in Europe, so I was teaching them how to bike. Sport helped us to take us outside the refugee center away for two, three hours. And it helped us to together find solutions of how to help our mental health and how to to stay away from the crazy thoughts of like ending our life. It helped us to go through the process. It helped us to to stay together and share the the common pain and and feelings we had and think about something different, even if it's for one or two hours. And that's how it helped me, how it helped more women. And when I got permission to stay in Denmark, the idea of like establishing my organization Girl Power came from from the time when I was in the refugee center. I started the Girl Power organization in Denmark with a mission, our purpose to use the power of sport to empower women and girls from marginalized societies, but also to build the bridge between two divided communities. For example, refugee community or minority community 
that is very sp- separated from the community of European citizens. My mission is to showcase the strong stories, but also the human side, like we are talking about human beings that had no choice of leaving their country, like no choice than leaving their country. Since I left Afghanistan, I never lost the connection with my country and supported the development of uh, women's football, especially both in elite level, but also grassroots level. I've been working with the federation, with the national team of Afghanistan, but also with True Girl Power, providing education and sporting opportunity for girls in rural areas. Unfortunately, due to the fall of of our country for the second time in the hand of Taliban in August 2021, it all changed to a kind of an operation and mission to rescue female footballers and help them to get out of Afghanistan and evacuate them. And uh, we made the pledges, international pledges, and we got support from people. Since August, with the great support of international allies, helped me to help my girls, the national team of Afghanistan, to be evacuated to the to Australia, where now they are resettling in Australia. They have started playing football, which is a fantastic thing. They've started playing professionally back in Australia. Then we have evacuated the development team that are based in the UK. So I'm traveling back and forth to support their resettlement process in the UK, but also in Australia. So the main team went to Australia and then the secondary team went to the UK yes got you I think it's more than 300 people we got we managed to get out rescue them it's like players and their family members that's unreal our teams are playing football again and they continue their career it's crazy to see getting off the bus they saw the football pitch it was like you see your mother after years, with the feeling that you thought that you will never meet it again. That's what I saw in their faces when they saw the pitch and they started crying. They thought that they will never be able to play football again. Wow, you give me goosebumps all over when you tell me these stories. And I'm really curious to hear more about how last year felt for you because it must have been triggering and emotional to ha- to take on that mission to get all those people out of the UK and you played such an integral part in it. I'm curious to know how emotionally that impacted you. It was so emotional for me because it was about my country. It was about my people. It was like I was traumatised because kind of like the history repeated. And it was also work. Like I had to really get all my emotions together to make it happen. What was very, very difficult for me was like in terms of my mental health, I couldn't sleep. I had to support emotionally my players to stay together, 
to not give up because they had these panic attacks, the anxiety attacks. They were crying, they were screaming, they were worried, they were afraid. And something in Denmark where I have like perfect world, like I'm safe, I have everything, I have my coffee in there. And kind of guiding people. Like the decision making, this is kind of the position where you are, you are making decision. And you're in a very vulnerable position where you're sitting in Denmark and guiding people what to do, where to go, how to stay together. In a crisis where anything can happen and one decision can cause lives of people. And having that kind of fear and this heaviness on my shoulder when I was telling my girls, okay, this is the time to move now. You have to leave your home. On that time, it was um, the evacuation through the airport of Kabul. So guiding them to go out where the terrorists were, like there was a huge risk of like getting identified, hearing on the phone the, the gunfire and shooting and people crying and screaming. It came with a huge responsibility on my shoulders. One side, I had to deal with my emotions about my country, about my childhood, because my childhood was repeated in front of my eyes. And also, responsibility of people's life. I'm so happy and so lucky that this didn't end up as a failed mission. We didn't lose their life. But that was the most scary thing. Once the team entered the airport, I I had the panic attack and I, I fainted. So it's kind of like I started this evacuation program from August to somewhere in November to get people out. Khalida. What is life like uh, for women and girls in Afghanistan today? Um, unfortunately, there is no life for women and girls in Afghanistan. Women are abandoned in, in their homes. It's like they are prison. The women and girls of Afghanistan who went to school and got their education and dreamed to become doctors, to become artists, to become singer, today they are banded and prison at home. The women who divorced from the husband who wanted to be a single mother to work and be an independent woman are forced today to live with a man because women cannot be alone and, and single. Otherwise, they are forced to marry with one of the Taliban allies, dependent on their brother and father or husbands. This is the situation. They're not allowed to go to school they are banned from any type of sport activities. They are banned from everything. There is like search home by home where Taliban is identifying the activists, human rights activists, feminists who are known and they are getting raped, they are getting killed and they are getting, they are disappearing. And that is a situation and it's, it's so terrifying to even follow the news say, and here I have people in the ground where I'm connected and they are afraid of their, losing their life. This is what is happening and unfortunately the world is turning their face and forgetting Afghanistan, especially the women of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm.
the women of Afghanistan feel abundant by the world. Thank you for bringing that back to light. And that's what this episode and the podcast and the work that we do at the Worldwide Tribe continues to be about is to not abandon the women and the girls of Afghanistan or the people that are forgotten by mainstream media that continue to to face these struggles on a daily basis. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for like so beautifully sharing your story. I could literally listen to you for hours, Khalida. Thank you so much. I love speak. I I love talking. So that's why I just continue talking. So this is my favorite kind of episode when I hardly say anything and I just listen. That's why I really connect to your work because the whole point of what I do is to provide a platform to amplify voices. So the idea is not for me to be talking, you know, it's the idea to hear to hear the voices of our guests. And I think that our listenership is going to really connect with your story. That's my last question, actually. How can they find you, your work, get involved with Girl Power and support you? Uh, we have websites. Um, that's girlpower.org.com. Um, they can they can go on our website um, and, and find how they can support us. Go and check it out and support the incredible Kalida on her mission. I'm with you all the way, Kalida, and I think everyone who told me that I needed to speak to you was very right. When you're talking, it's speaking right to my heart. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks a lot for providing the platform. It's truly appreciated. Thank you. To find out more about Kalida and her organisation, Girl Power, check out their website, girlpowerorg.com. Thank you for listening today. I'm always open to thoughts and feedback. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or donate. All details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. Finally, please go and give our amazing sponsor a visit at lovewelcomes.org or lovewelcomes on Instagram. Remember to use the code WWT at checkout for 10% off. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.